1: 20 to 1, free of him, 89.0, independent community media. Now my, Hari mai, tanakwe, as we get a soul closer to Christmas.
2: It's beginning to look a lot
3: like Christmas. Everywhere you go,
1: take a look in
3: five and ten.
1: Well, we're entering Christmas week, big time, in the face of COVID, etc., etc. I hope you enjoy your afternoon with us till two o'clock. Mel Driscoll is with me shortly. And before Mel comes in, we'll. Um, We'll play another song that was banned by the NZBC in Radio New Zealand back in 1972. It was Chuck Berry's only number one hit worldwide. It gained notoriety when, uh, of course, Mary Whitehouse, the uh, late British critic, if she found something wrong, she'd tell the world about it. But... My dingling was banned by the NZBC and Radio New Zealand.
2: Well in that case he gives us one more to do. In that case we got to this- We got to do our alma mater, we must do our alma mater. When I was a little bitty boy, my grandmother bought me a cute little toy. Silver bells hanging on a string. She told me it was my ding ling lingo. Ding-a-ling. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm, and then mama took me to grammar school. But I stopped off in the vestibule. Every time that bell would ring. Catch me playing with my You know what I heard? I heard, I hear two girls over here singing in harmony. That's all right, honey. This is a free country. Live like you want to live, baby. Yeah. Ain't nobody gonna knock it, darling. Mm-mm. Yeah, freedom. Yes, sir. There's one guy right over here singing mine, too. That's all right, brother. Yes, sir. You got a right, baby. Ain't nobody gonna bother you. Okay. Once I was climbing the garden wall, I slipped and had a terrible fall, I fell so hard I heard bells ring, but hell Future Parliament
3: out there singing! Oh yeah! yeah.
2: Mm. Once I was swimming cross Turtle Creek, man, them snappers all around my feet. Show sure us hard swimming across that thing with both hands holding my face. I think it's a beautiful little song. Really, I do. And guess what? Everybody's still not singing. There's a few right down front here that's not singing. We're gonna dedicate this verse to those who will not sing. Yes, sir. Mmm, this here song, it ain't so sad. The cutest little song you ever had. Those of you who will not sing, you must Playing with your own game. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. With my
1: Free FM 89.0, independent community media. No, that song is not rude, but that's how Mary Whitehouse saw it. She complained to the BBC for saying about the song. She, Oh, she was a British morality campaigner. And my dingling was number one in the UK and US in 1972. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. And to
0: Marcel Cameron, who believes in Christmas, Christmas beyond Santa Claus, a true faith in the Gospels as to how a baby came to be born in this world, a baby whose influence on the human race will be so profound we may still celebrate Christmas in his name. They call him Jesus. To believers, his presence in our lives is seen in thoughts or actions around us miss L. cameron has no doubt she's witness to that in the hawerer shop where she works in the family enterprise ethel Ann antiques just over a week ago it was on a saturday afternoon you were at your workplace miss
4: um, actually, Mel, I was called into work. work. Um, our family friend who volunteers um, on the weekends was in store at the time. And I was called into work because of the robbery that took place. Robbery? Yeah, so we had a young man come into the shop um, looking to price rings. I had been called over as the manager to offer discount on a bulk purchase. So I had popped over, I had looked at what he was looking at um, it was quite interesting actually because he had chosen the sovereign ring I always associate um, the sovereign with our sovereign king, our lord and saviour he had chosen that particular piece which was one of the most expensive pieces in our range and two other gold bands so I'd offered him a discount on all three pieces and then I had left and left Sally um, to sort of finalise that sale. And it wasn't um, very long afterward when we were given a call that he had left the shop, he had popped back and said to Sally, yes, Will, um, I'd like to take the lot. And so Sally had got these three rings out and put them on the counter. And this gent had grabbed the lot, snatched them, ran out of the shop, um sally had gone madly running after him just yelling help we've been robbed and at that very time there was a van load of contractors coming out of their motel um where they were staying and they saw this gent running down the block they saw this woman chasing after him Um, They decided at that very moment to follow him, um, to apprehend this man um, when he ran out of steam, um, to call the police. Um, And they also actually recovered all of the the stolen goods. How did that happen? Well, I was actually called back to the shop at that stage. So these men had stayed with the gent who had stolen the goods. They'd rung the police. The police had met these men um, while they were holding um, this man. And there was another police officer over at um, the shop at Ethelan at the time taking a statement from Sally. So when I returned to check on Sally and how she was going, two out of the three men actually came back into the shop and one of them just reached out his hand to me and said Merry Christmas and I I put my hand out and he dropped the other two bands that had been stolen into my hand and I was so astounded. I There was just the most tangible eeriness about what was happening. I was moved to tears and kept asking this man who, who are you? And he was so humble. He just smiled, said Merry Christmas, and the two of them left the store.
1: When, when you checked on CCTV, did you notice what the alleged assailant, the man who stole the jewellery, was wearing?
4: No, no, because no, we didn't have time to do any of that. It happened so quickly that the time that I was called back to the shop, he had already been... Um, had already been confronted by these these Tongan men that had seen him running off from down the street. So there was no time for any um, reviewing of the, the footage or anything like that.
1: So where is this man now? Is he in prison or is he, um, he oh, out on bail?
4: Um, he's at, he had some sort of medical incident immediately afterwards, so he was taken to base hospital and I haven't heard um, his whereabouts since.
0: So we pick up the scene that you were depicting. It was in the shop itself, a shop that's been in the family for a long time. And here is a man who so humbly says "Merry Christmas" and presents the missing rings. Yeah,
4: yeah. And now, yes. oh, sorry,
0: Mal, carry on. So, in your mind, you'd like to know more. Who who are you? you said and this man told you what did he say
4: oh now this is um sort of the extension of really the hand of god inside um this whole event is that i returned after we'd finished making our statements home sally maintained um staying on the shop floor and it was about three quarters of an hour later that we got a call um, over home and the gentleman who had returned the rings, his name's Roberto, um, was on the phone and he had said to mum he'd like to speak to us and at that time I was still reflecting on the gravity of what had happened that it was such a traumatic incident but the way it unfolded and the way it was redeemed was so smooth and so peaceful and so really divine that I was saying to my partner, you know, it's written in the Bible um, to show hospitality to strangers because you never know when you may be entertaining angels. And I said, "I, I just feel like we've had an encounter with angels today. At that very time, the phone rang. Mum called me into the room to speak to Roberto, who had returned the rings When um, the man was actually arrested, these two Tongan men went back to the, the place that they had um, confronted him and they searched for our property. Now, Roberto had put one of the rings on that he found and while he was looking for the other one. And the ring that he put on actually fit him perfectly. He returned to the shop and he asked if he could buy that particular ring because he had looked for a ring to fit him for so long and never found one that actually fit. So, of course, Mum was really wanting to um, reward him for his his good Samaritan so work, so she slashed the price in half. Um, we were both um, marvelling, really, at... Um, at the loving intervention of God and, and how he can just orchestrate details so perfectly, you know, beyond anything that we could really imagine to do ourselves or fabricate ourselves.
1: Just just listen God. to just listen to a bit of Boney M. Just reflections. A great Christmas present for you.
4: Wasn't it? Same day?
0: <laughs> and what a day for Roberto, because he was one of those who helped deter the thief so that they had no further injuries that have been mentioned for the gentleman concerned. And they retrieve the rings, return them to their rightful owner. That's your business, your your grandmother and a long-established business dealing in jewellery, and we're talking quite big values, and then grandmother being asked to sell that very ring, and she does that with a gesture, saying, what did she tell him? To Roberto. Sorry, now? To Roberto, what is it your grandmother said when she was asked if he might buy the ring the ring that he had just recovered from a attempted theft and returned to you.
4: She said to him um, it would be our privilege to offer it to you for half the price, Roberto. Um, and she really said we can't thank you enough. It's, it's not something that has ever happened. Um, especially in the history of the industry we're in. Um, it's just not something that she that really um, is redeemed very smoothly and it's quite often that we're left at a loss. So to have this double blessing come forward from the whole incident was really the spirit of Christmas alive and active in our our little small place of the world.
1: Are you keeping in contact with Roberto?
4: Yes, he's coming back to buy his wife Um, Her wedding band Because they have been married 33 years And they have never actually purchased rings So they are going to do both of them
1: with us Are they going to renew their wedding vows, are they?
4: Let's hope, let's hope they do And
1: you'll be invited to the wedding if they do that
4: (laughs) (laughs) That would be fantastic, wouldn't it?
0: So Roberto knows that you were seeing him as an angel, but in fact um his work is um not of it's not in the job description to be an angel <laughs> and so how exactly. did he how did he receive <laughs> the uh, insight and that it was like an angel had come
4: Do you know um it was very second nature to him when I quoted that scripture, he actually responded to me saying. I've lived my whole life in that book.
1: And now Chris and Oh sorry, carry on.
4: I just knew then and there we were speaking to a man that had a living, um, active relationship with our Lord. He said, um, this is what we do.
1: I know many Tongans are very, very religious and uh they, they celebrate in their own way, dress in white Attend church like here in Hamilton every every Sunday, and um, I, I like talking to Tongans and Mowans and other people of faith too. So
4: it was incredibly special. Um, it really was such a expanded blessing because I myself I'm um, I'm Samoan, but I have been. New Zealand, I'm um, New Zealand born and bred, and obviously my mother is my my grandmother, um, who adopted me at six months old. But my um, journey to identity has been really long because I've never met my father, and we've had a lot of um, difficulties, sort of finding the the details of how to correctly spell his name. So when these men also presented as Polynesian, as Tongan, there was a sense of family not only from our ethnicity but also through our faith and it was just so detailed, it was so personally loving um, for God to show up so mightily in every detail of this story.
1: You've recently had in Taranaki and Altham a COVID outbreak. How's everyone surviving in the whole of Taranaki? But Altham? how are you surviving having to Well
4: well look, um I think it's it's very unprecedented times. It's been it's been very different to any other um, lead up to Christmas years. Um it's been very quiet. Um I must say that God has been so good to us as a small business because, as I say, mum's been on that corner operating in antiques for 41 years now and her long-term custom has been incredibly loyal to her. So we have survived really through um, the love and the loyalty of a really long-term custom, but uh, a very special clientele um, that really do all come from the same heart place of reverence for heritage and culture and um, really the the simplicity of our ancestors so we have been very well looked after i feel this incident um also sort of it shows the living word um that we read about in psalms 91 10-12 that he'll give his angels charge concerning you and that no plague will come near your dwelling, that we have been very protected, um, very safe in these very uncertain times. So yeah. I feel that is a, another revelation of, um, of the living God inside the everyday details of our lives.
0: In your life,
4: <laughs> coming
0: <laughs> into the world as you did, and within three three or weeks or more, you were finding yourself um, in family it was your family but in a way you were the angel who came and you're there still for your grandmother who you call your mother because she's a good age now misselle
4: yes she is she is she's 93 now now and we have told her that it would be nothing less than hypocrisy for her to enter into her glory in heaven before a hundred <laughs> So you have to be a hundred years old to become a genuine antique. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so wish, which, 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 uh, that does sound good. Have you done your worship? Have you been to church this morning?
4: Uh, this morning, my church has actually just been in the temple of our um, our everyday activities. We have had to come through to New Plymouth with this short time span that was been given. Um, to do all of our Christmas bits and bobs. So my, my worship is with you today, Mel.
0: And perhaps the outreach of what you believe may have reached the heart even of the would-be thief who is without anything good that came for him from this except that he was in the hands of Christians who believe that there's a place for even him in the kingdom that you dream of.
4: Exactly, Mel. Exactly. I actually found myself while I was giving my statement to police, hearing the Lord really say, "Forgive as you've been forgiven," um, and just talking to them about about the history of this gentleman, um, his conditioning and and his life path, and and how we could moving forward really impact him positively, um, rather than sort of uh, Punitively, um, to be able to have transformative change, that he has actually encountered the love of God, and that that encounter, um, opens doors that no man can shut, and shuts doors that no man can open. So we also were, were called to pray for, for that particular man's salvation.
0: Miss L. Cameron, with her Christmas story,
1: in Harvard, last weekend. Have a good Christmas and a Happy New Year.
4: You too, guys. Be blessed.
1: Bye-bye. 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 Bye. Bye. What a a great story, Mel. And uh, and we'll wonder where this man is at the moment and whether he'll be uh, facing the judiciary. Five minutes past one the 3FM 89.0. I hope your afternoon is fit, well and happy as we get closer to Christmas Day. At five after one, here's Jose Feliciano and Feliz Navidad. Feliz
5: Navidad. y felicidad
1: Jose Feliciano on Cosmopolitan News and Views, Felice Navidad. I can tell you that's over fifty-one years ago, and I was still at school when that song was in the on the radio all through Christmas of nineteen seventy. Great song, and still is and still it's still on the charts since by the man born in Puerto Rico. And blind, of course, Jose Feliciano, great musician. Eight minutes past one o'clock, Mel.
0: And time to welcome a former mayor of Hamilton, Margaret Evans, to our show, Cosmopolitan News and Views. Now, Margaret's a leading light in the battle to spare the now disused Founders Theatre from the Wreckers Ball. She's she's come out swinging in the debate that rages to and fro between those citizens who, being in a tradition of caring about buildings we inherit, that exist thanks to the sacrifices of time, energy and money by supporters of the shows, a sense of civic duty and pride in this memorial to the founders of
1: Hamilton. And And Margaret's founder champion, Martin Gallagher. That's right,
6: that's right. Now where should we start on this?
1: Well you might tell us... What a
6: beautiful introduction. uh,
0: Well, (laughs) I wonder who would consign it to oblivion, something with so many memories preserved only in old photos and mementos? Is is that what it's to be?
6: Well, I think we probably need to understand that for some people, when something is old, you get rid of it. Um, because it's nice to have big new flash facilities. And I think, um, haven't you heard that expression, boys and their big toys? <laughs> um, and, you know, the beauty about all of this is that Hamilton is going to get a wonderful new ...regional theatre where the old Hamilton Hotel is. However, I guess we come from the point, why not keep both of them? Why not keep the Founders Theatre? Because as you said, it is full of memories. As Martin Gallagher said, so many people, thousands of thousands of people have memories... Yep. in that theatre.
1: And, and I do know that Martin told me once that he was in short pants when he went to see Louis Armstrong in that particular theatre. So, that's right. So and Martin's, that's, Martin's that's got those memories. Got
6: up. That's when we got revved up about it with Richard Swanson. Mm-hmm. Richard, um, who particularly likes jazz, and he came up with the idea of what a fabulous way of celebrating the 50th anniversary of the theatre. Now, what's important here is nobody... Nobody predicted at that stage the theatre would have to close. Um, So, you know, we did that lovely thing with Richard. Um, We found Bill Lindbergh had captured some magnificent photographs. And when I say we, I'm talking about Totti, the little trust I'm involved with. And um, we organised with Richard to have a park installed in the theatre. And then, of course, it seems like minutes later, suddenly the theatre is closed. Um, I do appreciate the council was being very conservative as a place for public safety. Um, However, there are those who will argue it should never have been closed, but however, it was. So when we heard that um, the plans for the West Town Belt were going to be uh, uh, thrown up for public submissions, we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we keep the founders? And that's when we first went to the council and made a submission uh, which was overruled on a six seven vote so when the council sought submissions on the west town but it's important to understand because there's been a lot of misinformation about this important to understand that our proposal to rehabilitate the founders was not part of that public submission process So we can presume the vast majority of people had no knowledge uh, um, that this was going to happen. Uh, Everybody just thought that the council had decided to demolish the building. So that's point number one. Point number two, we rallied up again when we realised that um, creative Waikato was amongst those who did submit and said, retain part of the building because part of the building is not 50-plus years old. And so we started uh, talking to a whole variety of um, community groups and interested parties around the town. And with the exception of one or two people who just think it's an ugly building, everybody said there's a lack of community space, we need more space, we're a growing city, we need more space for meetings, for community organisations, for exhibitions for things like rehearsals, the whole gamut of creative affairs. So we got seriously. Mm. And we went to um, Mark DeLeal, who was the son of the original architect, and he's an architect himself. And we said to him, what do you reckon? And he had the original plans of the theatre. And his firm, um, led by Mike Angelo isn't it a wonderful name uh, became very very interested in the project and I have to say pro bono at this stage they listened to us through a series of hui where we brought people together and they came up with some concepts in response to that and the important thing is there was an estimate of about a million dollars to earthquake proof the building note that figure, about a million dollars the 20-25 million that the council keeps on quoting was not just to open the doors again. It was to expand the building. And that's why um, the concept was put forward by Momentum and others, Leonard Gaza, that um, why not build a new theatre? So that's the backdrop to the story. We are absolutely convinced Hamilton can cheerfully cope with both the new regional theatre and what we are proposing for the founders.
1: Yeah, it's we have we knock our old buildings down. We've lost remember when we lost the Embassy Theatre?
6: Yes. <laughs> the Funny cold. enough, um, I was involved in that of course <laughs> and I've had that discussion just this week. We were talking with some people about Euphrasia House. Yes. You remember the yep. um, lovely old um, dormitory, for want of a better word, at uh, Sacred Heart, which was the boarding establishment. I have uh, uh, um, mixed feelings about this, but it is generally accepted that a lot of the earlier building in Hamilton uh, was very much a do-it-yourself operation with generally not expensive materials. And I think today we've used the term jerry built Is that
0: Jerry Bolt. Haven't yep, heard it in Bolt. years, Margaret. Yeah.
6: And, and, and I do remember with the embassy, very clearly the advice was given to the council that it was, it was a cheap building. There were all sorts of problems with us. Now, when we go back, and I think of what's been said about the founders, I have to say I think I would take that advice much more seriously today and probably get a lot more independent opinions. However, the embassy's gone the euphrasia house has gone the founders has not and it's a solid as a rock can you believe it yep. 1962 build well it's we g- known it's yep. known um in heritage terms it is known as the finest example of a civic brutalist design in the country i love that term, yep. brutalist
1: yep. I'll have to look it up in my dictionary when I finish
6: here. (laughs) But,
1: Margaret, we're also going to lose this week a bit of Hamilton history. It's from the old Hamilton DIC building, which is now the Hamilton Public Library. They are removing the old freight lift this week. They've just installed a new lift, but they're removing the old freight lift. And I knew it there when I was a kid. So we were losing another bit of Hamilton history, too.
6: Yeah, we're not that fresh, are we? You know, um, again, um, we have had, to my knowledge, um, a City Council-sponsored Heritage Foundation, but I'm not sure uh, anything much has happened with that. Um, I do know that there was some Council funding put into it, uh, but you're absolutely right. We are not good, and we need to get much better.
1: Yep, and, and and of course outspoken was Councillor Ryan Hamilton on this subject. He wants, he wants to drive the digger to d- demolish it practically
6: Yes, but he's one, one amongst many. He was the only one uh, amongst all of the councillors who voted that way, which we think um, is really positive. Can I also say that was an hour and a half debate at the Council and there was some really, really good comments made Um, Mark Bunting who chairs the community session and he made the point that just recently he'd been approached by a group who had wanted to do an exhibition in the event centre but they couldn't afford it. Now that is the story that we hear time and time again and the problem for the council the problem for H3 which of course runs the event centre and the stadium etc and used to run the founders is they have got to tightly balance between running a commercial operation and running a community operation. And if you really want a debate that I would love to see occur in the city is why do we take it why do we take that attitude? Because quite frankly, a lot of these things cannot ever make a profit. Internationally we know that. We know for instance you wouldn't expect the library to make a profit. You wouldn't expect the museum to make a profit. If all costs, including return on capital, were taken into account for the rugby park and the cricket park, let alone all the other parks across the city, you wouldn't expect that. We don't, you know, I've said jokingly, but half seriously, why don't we put uh, um, um, tolls on the bridges? Why don't we put tolls on our big roads? Um, There is a total inconsistency in political thinking on these attitudes. And finally, I love making this speech, (laughs) if I point out what I've pointed out time and again in the last few months, if you take the intersection of Wairetti Drive with Cobham Drive, and anybody that's driven that will see the scale of it pretty openly,
1: Yep, and and of course we can't forget the Claudine's Event Centre. Uh, I remember the debate on the former Hamilton City Councillor. He wanted it sold off, lock, stock and barrel. Remember that debate? That's right,
6: that's right. And I mean, somebody would um, uh, uh, never make money out of it even if they bought it cheaply. But the point I want to make about the roundabout is that that was on the books and that's, of course, um, a funding partnership with the transport agency, Waka Kotahi, And I think people need to get more serious um, with their microscopes on these things. That was in the budget at 39 million. Within two months of the opening of the financial year, the year before last, that went up to 59 million. 59 million for one roundabout. Now I know it's a big one, but that was a $20 million expenditure and nobody, including Ryan Hamilton, actually raised an eyebrow. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say to people. There has to be a very much broader approach to what we spend public money on. There needs to be a much better approach in terms of budgeting, sharper pencils, because quite frankly, an 88-page report was what councillors had to tackle on our simple request for an extra three months for the founders. 88 pages, come on now. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I, I I, would uh, use it as a doorstop. I couldn't sit down all day long and read 88 pages.
6: So please have sympathy with the councillors. Yeah. That was a 400-plus page agenda.
1: Was any of it redacted?
6: Don't think so. Don't uh, think so. They're pretty good about that sort of stuff. You have to ask for it, of course. Uh, um, but all I'm saying is I think the council could... Uh, um, cut back on a lot of internal expenditure which would be much better used on community facilities I'd sooner see them now <laughs> rush out and do a lot more weeding in the, uh, in, in the in the gardens and the street burns and things like that provide jobs that way yeah.
1: and, and of course we I have to thank my friend and media colleague Mike Mather for his stories in the Waikato Times and stuff and other papers for bringing this to our notice
6: yeah Uh, I mean, you know, I think that um, there are still some attempts to dig a bit, um, but I have sympathy for journalists. Remember, I was one once.
1: (laughs) Yes, no... um... And a broadcaster.
6: Yeah, there's not enough time. Uh, um, They never seem to be able to get the space to really do proper investigative reporting. Can I also say, as a former journalist, we always worked on the basis that you were never friends. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that we have far too many chummy chums
1: yeah.
6: linking politicians with journalists these days.
1: In in your days as a radio talkback host along with the, your former colleague the late um, Don Kestrup, what were the what were some of the controversies of the day when you were on Talkback Radio here in Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs>
6: That's a big question.
1: I know, I know. It's, pretty, it's, it's.
6: Let me give you one. And I wasn't actually on talk back then. I was producing. And it, again, was something that reminded me of how passionate people are today with COVID. And um, at that particular time, the death penalty, can you believe it, was the subject of discussion across the country. And it was because there had been some really ghastly child murders. And I'm now talking back about the mid eighties. And anyway, John Banks was a cabinet minister at the time. Yes. And we invited him into the studio for talk back. And he was with Mike Height, who was the host. Yes. And I can tell you the the phones were going crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because people were, you know, seeking blood. They really were. I thought to myself, my gosh, we can't possibly um, allow just this one-sided debate to occur. We need to somehow balance it. And I picked up one of the phones, and it was Arthur Allen Thomas. Wow. People remember him. Yes, so they we do. and then pardoned for the crew murders. And Arthur said, I would like to talk with John. And I said, Arthur, because he was quite a regular caller. And I said, fine. I said, will you identify yourself? He said, yes. So I went through to Mike Hyde uh, um, and said, Mike, you know, put on an advertising uh, um, uh, session because I've got Arthur Alan Thomas on the phone and I want you to bring him in straight after the ads. So he did. And the conversation went a bit like this. Hello, John. This is Arthur here. Arthur Alan Thomas. And, John, I want you to know, if we had the death penalty in this country, I would not be talking with you this afternoon. Well, I can tell you, just like that, John Banks said, and, Arthur, you are the reason that I would never vote to bring the death penalty back into this country.
1: Mm. I, Very yeah. fascinating. And generations on, I heard a piece on Media Watch this morning featuring the Honourable John Banks, who was a fill-in Talkback host, He was found to be racist, and he got kicked off Magic Talk that morning.
6: That's right. But in those days, he heard what Arthur Allen Thomas was saying, and he completely changed the tone of that. Those two blokes completely changed the tone of that debate. And to me, that's what Talkback Radio was supposed to be. You have to allow all voices. If you're only getting one side of the story you've got to somehow make sure the other side of the story is being told as well.
0: And isn't that somehow the rationale for community boards?
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. The Hamilton City Council. It's it's even deeper than that one. We're going to talk about community boards now are we?
1: Yeah. (laughs) But I I think it would would work wouldn't
6: it? Well um, there's about 110 I think community boards across the country and in 1989, when they were formalised, and there was something like 800 councils and boards all across the country were amalgamated, Hamilton was hardly changed. And when I look back, I have no idea why we did not get community boards back then, when everybody else had them. All the cities had got them, Auckland, Christchurch, Dunedin, Wellington, but we haven't. And I have not got the answer for that. Mm. So... I have been uh, um, part of um, a group, um, including Holly Snape from Community One. Yes, we know Holly
1: well here. Yep, That's
6: right. And and Raymond Munford, who has a loose-knit group of people who like to keep an eye on what's happening in the city. And they call themselves Integrity Hamilton. And um, we talked with a lot of people. I was actually sitting, having a chat with Holly, on the Monday about something entirely different. It was actually about founders. And I said to her, um, you you know, they're opening up consultation on community boards and representation next Thursday. What do you know about it? And she said, absolutely nothing. So together we contacted a range of people, including representatives of the community houses because they've got themselves really anchored, you know, at grassroots level. And, of course, the council constantly gets marvellous reports on how they're doing. And not one of them had ever contemplated doing something about a community board. It was just not part of the conversation in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, Neil Tolan, Neil is the manager out at um, Western Community Centre, he was available to go to the council meeting. I think it was back in August, maybe September and he spoke to the councillors really with, with with just just with a simple plea please contemplate community boards when you go out and you do your consultation on representation and they voted him down now i don't criticize them for that in the sense that none of them had obviously thought about community boards either so it was a sort of took them by surprise and then they had a series of workshops, worked it through, and I think at the end, at the very end, after the formal submissions went in, I, I do believe there were some of them who began to understand that maybe um, just having one council for 160,000 people was probably not as good as having several, particularly in those areas that we know have got massive disadvantage in the city and are the same ones that have been that way for years. And everybody knows them. Uh, uh, You know, the Norton area, uh, Enderley-Fairfield area, Bader-Melville area. And the council said it would probably next year have a bit of a look at community committees and they talked about one each side of the river. Now, our group just thought that was probably not a great idea. And so on Thursday, an appeal has been lodged, which goes directly to the Local Government Commission, and the Local Government Commission is the one that will make the decision, and they will make that by April next year. And we have asked that four community boards be put in place for the local government elections in October. And we've added in, at the request, because this was part of the discussions, the central area, because the feeling is um, it would be really great to get a board up and running, augmenting the work that the Central Hamilton does. It's your guys' patch.
3: Yep.
6: Um, We add to that... um, the um, really difficult conditions in Ulster Street uh, with all of the uh, temporary housing, the motels. uh, um, You you know, there is a very increasing population in the central city. And so we've suggested that would be a good place to have a board as well.
1: Well, well, of course, um, I think the Hamilton City Council are opposed to the National Labour Party proposed new housing measures like other councils around New Zealand. This is where we need those where we need those boards.
6: That's right. When wherever you're getting that increased density, yeah. And you are aware that um, I think it was Thursday the government has amended Parliament, not the government. Parliament has amended that legislation, taking into account people's concerns about shading, about buildings too high, too close. So the legislation has been amended, and the various. Parliamentary parties came together to agree to that, which is good. Sometimes yep. they do listen.
1: Ho- hopefully, and then we got three waters, but that's un- that's for another that's for another day. So
6: <laughs> you'd be right there.
0: Climate change—you've been concerned a long time in this, longer than most people realise.
6: Yeah, um, if I go back to 1992, that was when the big um, Rio de Janeiro Earth summit was held. And funnily enough, our own, I'd call him a local MP, Rob Story, led the New Zealand contingent to Rio. Uh, He was Minister of Transport at the time. And um, I think some of us had vaguely realised that going back to what they call the Stockholm Conference in the 70s, I think some people um, would have read um, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring which expressed concerns about what we were doing with poisoning the earth, etc. So some of these concerns went back well into the 70s and the United Nations itself started expressing concerns about what we human beings were doing to our home and that there would be consequences. So 1992, the Earth Summit, um, there were 30,000 people attended it. phenomenal, isn't it, when you think about it? Um, and something like 180 now all of the nations of the world were represented there and um, out of that came a local government organization local governments for sustainability and so Rob's story we organized for him to do uh, a presentation immediately he got back from Rio and we made um, we invited all of the local governments in the area and various others, environmental groups, social groups, etc. And that then created um, a format for Hamilton City Council's long-term plan, which came out in 1995. And I I think it's really too important to emphasise climate change is not just about environmental issues. Um, Local government has within its statutory purpose a requirement to foster well-being. Now, well-being includes environmental, economic, social and cultural elements. So unless we get all of those together, we're not going to really be successful. That, And I'm talking about humanity. So if you talk about climate change, we may stop greenhouse gases causing the problem. But that's not enough. We would still probably have extensive poverty, and let's face it, that's what we've got in New Zealand. We would still have a great gulf between the rich and the poor, and that's what we have in New Zealand. We would still have conflict, social conflict, like we have, for heaven's sake, over COVID. How many people do you know have experienced absolute and utter rudeness from other people in going about their daily business? Do we really want that sort of lifestyle?
1: And then, of course, we've got these doctors who deny COVID and uh, they've been had their licences suspended, which is good.
6: Well, uh, I think so. And I was reading something the other day, and I think it was Tama Iti's son who said it. And he said, for heaven's sake, he said, I've been vaccinated against polio, measles, typhoid, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. This is just the latest one. And I thought that was one of the best comments I've heard in a long time.
1: Yes, I'm fully vaxxed. So is Mel. Are you fully vaxxed, Margaret? Of
6: course I am fully vaxxed. And so is my entire family.
1: Have you sympathy for those who, for conscientious
0: reasons, don't wish to be part of it?
6: I um, certainly have some understanding of those people who feel they are being forced into this. But I also have to say, it is not just about you being forced into it. It's about the impact that your non-vaccination will have on other people. And this is one of those occasions where we should all be groupies. I don't know whether you saw the lovely piece. Um, I think it was actually from a doctor um, that did the rounds on social media. And it went along the lines of, I'm just wanting to let everybody know... I'm about to go out in my car and I want everybody to know that I shall be going from point A to point B and I shall be driving on the right-hand side of the road. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
6: <laughs>
1: Don't you love it? <laughs> I, I do and uh, I just see that we've got 63 cases of COVID-19 in the community today so hopefully... With this delta going down And of course Omicron is here in New Zealand Right at the moment I'm just going to check up Whether we've got any more cases of Omicron Before we go at 2 o'clock So the cases are going down So hopefully we're in for a peaceful Christmas
6: But it's interesting Mike When you, um, again going back to COP26 in Glasgow Yes And when we beamed out here Thanks to the University of Waikato And their marvellous tech team and we got that 60-odd people together um, over the two weeks in panels. One of the interesting elements was the feedback that we got from Professor Ian Douglas um, from Manchester University, who was uh, one of our main contacts, um, and I have to say, uh, um, Zooming is such a wonderful, wonderful facility. And he pointed out that already in Britain they were seeing a dramatic drop in the use of public transport. Why? Because of COVID. Because of people's fear. Now, again, we need to think ahead with things like this. We sometimes need to change our plans, amend our plans. And if I go back to the founders, already we've begun those discussions um, with our architect. It's quite clear that we are going to have to be much smarter about our inside, outside connections. We're probably going to have to make sure that there's more... Space to keep people apart uh, um, you know every day there is another challenge like that and the COP26 um, e- experience here in Hamilton through the University constantly said thinking globally is how we get a lot of information but don't ever forget the application is locally and that's the grassroots thing listen to what the people are doing listen to what the people are saying Um, We know that there are, if you take Hamilton, there are hundreds of people going about their daily lives doing great things like replanting, fixing up the gullies, etc. But really, none of them get the resources they need.
0: Knowledge is one of the most essential inputs if it's going to translate into policy and changes.
6: That's right.
0: And the university. the
6: Do more sharing. Talk to each other. Have conversations.
1: Community boards.
6: Yes. <laughs> and, and,
1: and, and, and should people listen to Greta Thornburg?
6: Absolutely. Don't you love it? We, we concluded that in our own COP26 summaries. You know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've gone back to the 88 page council reports or <laughs> 400 page reports. Stop the blah, blah, blah be succinct. Um, there is a beautiful, beautiful piece which I can send to you guys yes. that I encountered in a new book on Winston Churchill. And back in 1940, with his wartime cabinet, he said, keep it succinct, keep it to the point, keep it brief, because we can always ask for more information. But if you, you know, send hundreds of pages You can't help wondering if they think people aren't going to read that.
0: And yet in his letters, Mm. the letters that survive his um, being prime minister in the war years, uh, there was a lot of, um, shall we say, critical analysis that was down to the last detail and he seemed interested in that as much as in the overall picture. Mm.
6: But he had to be fast. He was. Yeah, you know, there was no opportunity to sit and mull over things for weeks or months.
0: He was fast, all right. And yeah, it's yeah. that which earned him credit from the oh, military.
6: Oh. So let's say he did get into the kitchen from time to time.
0: <laughs> You're interested in leaders from those times?
6: Well, I think there's always something to learn from leadership, isn't there?
0: <laughs> well, we're born after the war. So there's nothing we know directly.
6: That's right. uh, right. Did
0: you have a family that was participating in those war years in service? Oh,
6: absolutely. And um, I was always fascinated um, listening to some of their stories. Um, I was brought up on a dairy farm, and uh, that meant my father, who was very interested in politics, um, was involved in the early days of the National Party. But our two next door neighbours, who were brothers, were both fighter pilots in the Pacific during the Second World War. And my view, and they were lovely, lovely guys, great guys. Now, Clary Parker, it's not a name Waikato would know, but he stood for the Labour Party in Taranaki. Something like five or six elections. But of course, dairy farming, et cetera. Uh, um, no way (laughs) would they take a a labour man however the point I want to make is in those very very early years I can remember the stories of how ghastly war was the terrible atrocities that were committed not just by the Japanese but by everybody war is a terrible terrible thing and so for me yes my family involvement certainly made me all for peace (laughs) not war if you can find a peaceful solution find it
0: Could we face war again in New Zealand?
6: Well of course we could I mean we've got one of the worst family violence records in the OECD countries that's war it just happens to be on the domestic framework
1: and I think
6: we should be doing a lot more to, to, to intervene In that area.
1: Sadly, a lot of that violence is happening in places like Ulster Street.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, if you think about this, and these are some of the discussions that we've been having as we've talked through the idea of community boards. Seriously, walk in their shoes. You imagine yourself, if you're lucky enough to have a partner, crammed into one room with two or three or four children and very little in the way of hope for the future. It's no wonder that P has become epidemic in this country as well. I mean, you would feel a heck of a lot better off if you were on P. Terrible, shocking, and yet in the meantime, again, I go back to the idea of public resources. I think most of us agree that we would want to put wraparound services properly around those people.
1: It's also sad, and I've had this discussion with Martin Gallagher that the city council sold off all its social housing. He thought that was the biggest—that was a disaster.
6: I do. I agree. I agree. But now there's possibilities for partnerships, real partnerships. And just let me make the point: don't assume that organisations that are contract—you know—we've come through twenty ideas of everything is contracted out. Don't assume. That even social service providers provide quality services because on many occasions they don't. It all depends on the attitude of the people and the skills of the people. I mean, for heaven's sake, I've had involvement in a wide cross section of what we call NGOs, non government organisations. Some of them are fantastic. Usually the passion is great, but the service is not always. You ask, Anybody they know exactly which are the people within the Ministry of Social Development that are good to talk with versus the people that aren 't if you look at the social agencies around the town they know the people that are good to talk with who are helpful and pragmatic and they know the ones that aren 't
1: yeah s- s- sadly we 've got to have a I, I read this week or I heard this week that Carmel cepoloni the minister, the person in charge of the Ministry of um social welfare she wasn't rated very well this week in a poll so um yeah so you can't
6: always blame the minister you can call the minister to account and i mean i have had no dealings at all with carmel but i do know over the last 30 40 years which is where i've been pretty actively participating Time and time again, the governments, whether it's Labour or national or, or, you know, whatever brand, they have talked about integrated approaches. I mean, I can remember still Helen Clark having a photo opportunity with the uh, Minister of Police and the Minister of Social Welfare all saying, we are going to work together. Yep. But, you know, give it a year or two or three or four, and they forget.
1: And, and, and look where Helen Clark has come in, in her roles with, of course, with the United Nations and as Prime Minister because I saw a piece on parliamentary television this week that David Lange did not want her in his cabinet when he became Prime Minister.
6: That's right, that's right. And, and, and you know, Helen, I'm sure, and I can't speak for her, but I would surmise, having read some of the stuff she's written, she's still trying hard to bring in some of the changes because she knows many of the changes did not come. And let's not forget, Longie was the one that was really concerned about Roger Douglas. Yes. And the, the, the Chicago school, which we are still, still suffering from today. Yep. You know, it's all very well contracting out. But if that means you lose half your bus drivers because the contractors won't pay them the proper wages, <laughs>
1: Margaret, yeah. Margaret, we'll have to catch up again in the, in the new year, but I've just found uh, Dr. Richard Swateson's opinion piece, and he does quote Winston Churchill in it. I know, that's
6: yeah. what brought it to mind.
1: And expressed an abhorrence of reading a massive paper, finding it a waste of time, while energy has to be spent in looking for the essential points. Yes. Yes.
0: You will have spent many, many wistful hours doing just that in your long career in local government.
6: Mm, yeah. And, and please have sympathy for the councillors, um, but then get a little bit angry um, that none of them get stroppy. I have spoken to so many of them time and time again. I used to say to one uh, uh, particular one, you've got 450 pages on your agenda this month. What are you doing about it? It is up to the councillors to say to the chief executive and the staff, stop this ridiculous report writing. Yeah. Cut it back. Think Winston Churchill.
1: And I, and I don't think you want to get stroppy with Dave McPherson.
6: No, no. Uh, uh, um, but Dave, you know, if Dave believes in something, he will go for it. Dave and I have had some disagreements. I mean, I think some of his infrastructure stuff in the past is going to come home and bite him in the bottom. <laughs> Climate change-wise, however, Dave is prepared for oh, the changes.
1: Dave is great. And I had a long discussion walking up um, one of the streets in Hamilton, one of these, um, about early in the year. So Dave is passionate.
6: That's right. And look, he has been one of the most ardent supporters of your radio station.
1: Well... Yep, and uh, of course, and ho- hopefully he will stand for council again next year. We don't know yet, but who is going to be standing for council next year? It's going to be, it's going to be a
6: few surprises. I think so, and of course, that's always healthy um, because I think, again, there is a bit of concern that, not a bit of concern, a great deal of concern, that some of the very people that we would like to stand for council won't do it because they don't want to be full-time. Um, And, you know, over the many years uh, the the whole idea of the council is supposed to be a gathering of community leaders uh, Community leaders from all the various sectors Um, You know, there always used to be a couple of teachers and uh, people from the cultural community and people from the arts community maybe a a, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant or two and these days if you look around the council table It's almost exclusively people who just put up their hands and said, I want to be a councillor.
0: There is a difference, and it's embodied too in your submissions in support of community boards. That's right. To represent and act as an advocate for the interests of the community.
6: If they cut those reports, you know, down to maybe 10 pages, they can always put links in for them to get extra information. All
1: I want is bullet points.
6: That's right. If, in fact, they stopped writing some of these particularly, what I have to say, (laughs) questionable strategies, Um, the most recent one, and, and I have to say, this is not getting at the people who write the reports because they are given instructions to write them, and I think they do their best possible. But the most recent one that I really wondered about, because I was part of a group, that uh, during the submissions drew attention to the number of people that swim in the river and will always swim in the river and how wonderful it would be if the beaches around the river were tidied up not with great and i think we've talked about this before not with huge architectural bits of concrete and wood but rather lovely natural beaches and maybe a shark net or something like that to make it safer um for those because of the current down the middle of the river and so some councillors said to me margaret you'll be absolutely delighted we've put five hundred thousand into the budget um to develop a strategy for for the river well i now find there is an aquatics strategy and i challenge everybody to go read it an aquatics strategy (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah, I, we'll have to continue this in the new year when you go back to war over the Founders Theatre.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Jeez. Margaret Evans, CBE, once the Mayor of Hamilton, a leading light in the battle to spare the now disused
1: Founders Theatre from the Wreckers Ball. Happy Christmas, Margaret, and to yours too.
6: And the season's greeting to you and yours as well. May we yep. come back all refreshed and ready for change.
1: And ready and ready to fire again. I'm going <laughs> to, actually, we're going to be here on, I think we're going to be here on Boxing Day somehow. Oh, listen to that, Arthur. That's your actual bow bells. Listen to
7: that. Yeah, listen to that. It's a disgrace on a public thoroughfare. They ought to be reported to the Noise Basement Society. For your sake, Arthur, it's Christmas, isn't it? A time of goodwill. Time to make your will, you mean. We've only just finished with £1.50 for the guy, mister. Used to be a penny in my day. Yeah, but Queen Victoria's dead, isn't she? No, I suppose it's going to be GBH of the year old from Carol Singers. Oh, come on, i a cheer up, will you? Gordon Bennett. He's tough and it's lonely in top management. Oh, don't give me no earache. You don't even pay your rent. I've got a lock-up with no lock-on and it's snowing outside. If you don't get her a present soon, there'll be nowhere to hide. I've got a lovely furry coat. I could tell her it's me. Now, she's she a sassin' Cos it done a pen and eat. It doesn't. It does? You know. I would. Used a turn up with a book. What? Hold on, here comes Chisholm. He's giving give me a funny look. What now? Sing, he don't know one carol from another.
1: What'll I get for
7: Christmas, Freddy? Early...
1: Yes, the incomparable Arthur Daly, the late George Cole and Dennis Waterman from the television series *Minder*. What are we going to get for her indoors? Some In time to leave them alone? Good afternoon, sir. Oh, good afternoon. Oh yes, I remember the movie, the TV
7: series Minder. Bring those shows back again. Good on you. Uh, You've got on. to hand it to the British, I tell you. When it comes oh to yes, like that. Uh, like, I, I've, watched just,
1: I've watched Arthur Daily. Sorry, George Cole and many other things like the movies he made. And the, he always played a spiv or a criminal or yeah, it's sort of. A yeah. <laughs> so, what's so been he, rattling your cage this week? Well, uh, listening to your
7: previous. Uh, uh, person, Margaret Evans, very interesting, but I had to cut short to come here. But I, I'd just like to add a few things to what she's talking about, which I fully concur with, about, about the Founders Theatre and, and the new theatre that's going up. In the process, an historic building built in the early 1920s, that namely the Hamilton Hotel, is going to be demolished to make room for, I suppose it's going to be looking like a glass box when they finished it. And uh, I think the chaotic, chaotic traffic that would cause trying to get out into the main street of Victoria Street, plus having to make room for parking, and the cost of this project is going to cost $76.3 million. Well, whose pocket's that money coming out of? Anyway, are you in favour of saving the um, founder theatre? Oh, definitely, because it's got a lot of character, the 60s classic character, I've been inside. It's very nice inside. I wonder what the auditorium is at the moment, because it hasn't been dusted. It's probably all dust-filled at the moment. And oh, I probably would need a good cleanup, no doubt. But I think to bring it back into uh, its original form as, a, as an earthquake-proof building and so on would be far, far less than 76 well, million. Well, look,
1: this is not our last talk together. I think we. I'm here on... Is it Boxing Day next Sunday? Is it Boxing Day next Sunday? That's or? right. Yes, it is. So we may invite you in on Boxing Day. After all the celebration, you got a Christmas cake to eat and a pudding and a bit of meat to eat on next Christmas Day. My stomach's saying yes, but I, I said, if you eat, if I you eat, if I if you eat, eat there, you're going to get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been trying on some of, my, some of my clothes. I was a bit skinny and I just put on a bit of weight and uh, the clothes don't fit properly. Well, that's what you've got to watch as you get older, I guess. Yeah. Hey, doing the calories. The it's, it's, it's interesting that this week I've made preparations to move to the uh, become a senior citizen with a gold card, etc., etc. So uh, further stories coming out there. It's 5 to 2, thanks, and we'll see you again next Sunday. Yes, and we'll do it all again. We'll do it again for the last time of the year. Yep. I will leave you with Sir Rod Stewart's. Should old acquaintance be
3: forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot in the days of old lang syne? Far old Lang Syne, my dear, far old Lang Syne, who will drink a cup of kindness yet for the sake of old Lang Syne?